Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I am here with... Joe Hilliard. And Carlos Cooper. I don't, know, I don't know what direction we're supposed to go yeah, in, but there know, was a we, pause, so I I've will. accepted it. We're, 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 we're doing what we do. Um, Howdy, y'all. Oh man, and, here we go. And and this is yeah, I mean this is going to be uh a landmark episode for us. I mean a foray into a genre that we've really only barely scratched the surface of. Um, with a brewer in the house, we did Tombstone with uh, right. Joaquin Peña That's from right. That's right. Right. Street just about a year ago. So, um exciting to get the chance to dive back in. We won't belabor that too much because as we know, first order of business is Oh, oh I'm going to belabor the shit out of it. Uh, there was a six pack of beer left on my porch, a gift for you guys in the show from a, a friend of, I think we all know her, her friend. Jane. Yeah. Yeah. And he. Hybrid Record Club member. It is Bandera Brewery. Now, I, I have done a little bit of research online. I can't find a lot. The website doesn't talk about the year of origin. I can tell you their Facebook page was created in February 2016. So, so maybe, some, maybe somewhere yeah. around there. We were marveling at the movie titles of the beers, uh, Fat Guy in a Little Coat IPA, etc. You know, they've got a lot of movie-themed beers, but this is just... Sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their heads. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> These are there's. This is just IPA and stout, and it was gifted to us, and it is very apropos. It launched... Spoiler. A, what's that? Are we doing the stout in the second half? Oh, it's all right. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm not a spo- spoiler. I'm not a spoiler problematic as you guys are, but no. we're going to try. We, we don't know the name of it. I put a text out to Jimmy to say, hey, what's the story behind these? Maybe I can get a text back before we get done. And it, and it, and it should be noted that David tried to do his fair share of sleuthing because mm-hmm. the ABV is on there. 7.3. So we tried to go look for an IPA matching the ABV. And found plus or minus point one percent, but yeah. not not this exact ABV. So right. we don't even. So we couldn't even put piece it together. Our, that our way. friend is driving and he's going to message us. So okay. there's Stay, hold on to your butts because every second half there's okay, going to be. So we're going to try the IPA first, but and right. I'm going to go ahead and crack it. But uh, the reason why it's so apropos is that uh, a little bit more research. The Chisholm Trail, a very popular and. Uh, successful cattle drive trail started around depending which article you read san antonio texas about an hour and a half west of san antonio an hour west of san antonio is bandera texas Mm -hmm. and it is hill country but it's also you know old cattle country absolutely and so what would happen is they'd funnel cattle from south of this point to that beginning of the Chisholm Trail. So if you've ever heard of the King Ranch, that's about 45 miles from where we're sitting right now. One of the, well, If not the biggest, one of the biggest ranches, it just seemed apropos to do a Western episode. Yeah, it did. Um, Beer in a movie, drinking game. Every time Joe says apropos, take a shot. <laughs> Today, that might be uh, quite you, a bit. Because you know, we've, we've created such a great episode here, I think, conceptually. Um, bring in, you know, the, for, first of all, love it when we get a beer drop from one sure. of our one of our friends and listeners. Um, if you give us beer, we're likely to drink it on the show. So that's super exciting. Very the fact likely. that this is introducing us to a new brewery. Great. Love it. Double excitement. And that it gives us this wonderful excuse to think about films that are set in the West coming from this frontier space, what was once frontier space, um, at least... 
as we uh, Anglo's defined it, um, <laughs> that uh, you know it, it's it's an exciting combination. I think for for an episode like this. And so what? And so what is this? Let's just get into it. I mean, we're yeah. talking about how great, Why does that? Matter? We're talking about how great the episode uh, programming is. But what exactly is it that we are going to be discussing? And first, we are uh, okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna editorialize this at all. Here's what it is. Uh, 1948. I could have sworn yep. it said 44 somewhere. 1948. You got it. 48. Howard Hawks. Co-directed by author Arthur Rosen, Rosen, um, written by Borden Chase and Charles Schnee, I think is how you say it. Which is, and it was based off of a like short story, I think, that appeared in some publication or another. That's right. Um, yeah, serial. Titled think. the Chisholm Trail, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, the Saturday Evening Post. Saturday Evening Post. That's what it was. Um, Blazing Guns on the Chisholm Trail is the uh, serialized original story. Anyway. Um, starring world-renowned racist and McCarthyist uh, John Wayne, <laughs> we, we're talking about... Let, let's not pull any punches, folks. Uh, we're talking about Red River. Uh, now, what this film is about is um, a guy named Dunson who shows up on a plot of land that had already been stolen from one indigenous person, and he's going to steal it from another brown person. Uh, just because, why not? This is my land now. Go fuck yourself. And he decides that he is going that's to... That's his whole like, like life attitude. It, I'm going to do sure. it however I want to do it, and fuck you if you don't like <laughs> yeah. it. And it's a representative of what the Western frontier is. For sure. Spirit, and I will was. murder you in cold blood if you disagree with me. Um, and it, does yeah his name his name is something dunson uh thomas dunson thomas dunson i wanted yeah. to say charles but i knew that was wrong and yeah so he's like i'm gonna raise all this cattle here and there's gonna be so much beef <laughs> beef as far as the eye Good can quality see. and this is my brand and you feed america yeah you young lad maybe one day we'll get your initial on it if you earn it but for now this is the red river d uh and over 14 years gets all these builds this huge huge ranch with a ton of uh cattle but by that time it's post-civil war there's not a market for it so he decides he needs to go up to missouri right and sell it there but it's a very long trek to take thousands and thousands of steer that far and so rounds up some men it's even daunting um, if you're jumping in an escort to drive up to sure you know, yeah that is here. a very I mean, think uh, about driving no, cattle yeah, all that way very yeah. very long way yeah. um so he takes uh his adopted son i guess matt yeah. right um and which we see during the time that he is going to that he st- sets out to create yeah, this empire in, in the a young yeah. lone boy arrives at the ranch uh, who the he vic- takes in yeah yeah the sole survivor um, of a wagon train yeah Raid. so uh, yeah that was raided um so yeah thomas dunson adopted son matt and uh chuck wagon leader extraordinaire groot played by walter brennan um not as an i am groot but no. but he is groot he is groot yeah um and, you know, have yeah, so, teeth, dag, damn it. <laughs> so they assemble some people and they're going to head on out and they're going to try to take these cattle up there. And uh, that's the movie is them trying to g- take cows from point A to point B. Right. Right. And, and survive on, the interpersonal conflict amongst the. Absolutely. Yes. And as Joe is kind and of the set dangers up here, of the road, the, you know, this is at least a drama, a dramatization, which doesn't use any of the actual people's names from what I can understand of this first drive. On the, on the Chisholm Trail. In what Trail. became the like Chisholm Trail. Like this idea Trail, that yeah. this is not a forged path that everybody knows about. This is their attempt to create 
the path. Uh, trail that yeah. will get them to the market in the way that they want to. Sure. Yeah. Um, There's the film. Yeah, good, good setup. Uh, you know, so yeah. as you guys have already... <laughs> Not my best work. <laughs> it's a tough one. Hey, I mean, it, David, do you mind if I get us here, oh, though? Oh, please. Go. Once we said, let's do westerns, Yeah. it was... Oh, so we're going, we're taking a step back. Taking a step back. Which Olivia westerns? Olivia Rodrigo style. Which westerns? <laughs> two that kind of exemplify the entire genre. We've done Tombstone. Yeah. Um, and I think we just, we set our minds on certainly doing one American Western and certainly trying to do one that appears at the top of the lists. That, That's um, set in Texas. Yeah, set in Texas. We did want that because Bandera we, Brewery, we want this to be, you know, if, if, it's, mm-hmm. if we're focusing on this idea that there's a connection to the West in Texas, we want there to be a Texas-based film. So mission accomplished there. Uh-huh. I, th- I think if you can get John Wayne into it, you get a few points because he is so emblematic of the Western genre, certainly, you know, uh, what? When was the second Searchers? Six, uh, 58? Uh, the fifty-three. The color mid, one. Mid fifties. Okay, yeah. so I mean, in that era, John Ford came up, you know, and then we settled on this one. And uh, I think emblematic of certainly the black and white western and the forties western. I think we did. A, we picked a pretty good one to just signify that half of a very large, expansive, popular in an, in a couple of eras. Yeah, I think this is in drama. the Criterion collection it may well be so i mean it's certainly nothing. one of those films that you know when we were pondering this episode we i think all of us on our own and then shared some of these yeah. you find endless lists online of what are the 10 greatest hollywood westerns or the 10 westerns that you must see before you die you know all those kind of lists and red river does show up yeah. on yeah. a fair number of those and then quick often check. not at number one but right there in like kind of the, the middle of that is number one. Right? The Searchers Usually. is often number one. Had anyone seen this prior? Stagecoach. I had not. Stagecoach. I had. Okay. I had not. Okay. I mean, as far I mean, you know, there are these lists. These are the westerns you need to see before you die. If I wrote that list, there would be zero films. You do not. Need it's to not see your a favorite western. genre. Really, you don't think you need to see any westerns? I mean, maybe. I mean, in maybe, the second half of the episode, maybe I'm the, cur- I'm, maybe the I, searchers, maybe, uh, maybe the searchers for pure cinematography reasons. Okay. Um, but now I'm speaking about Hollywood westerns, yeah, uh, specific American westerns specifically. Yeah, I, I, I guess I there's enough. Them, yeah, I, I think there's good films that are westerns. I think. Th- I think this is one of them. Wild, Wild West, actually, that's on my list. Oh, good God Almighty. <laughs> See, I, I am not somebody who is naturally drawn to the Western, but f- I'm enough of a film historian and enough of a film film buff, and I recognize the power of the Western in film history that I would feel like any self-respecting film lover would want to have at least some familiarity with what it is that they don't like if they don't like the genre. They, I, I feel like you have to see at least a few of these well, sure. to That's start how I have come making to your opinion. opinion. Yeah, yeah, right. Is that right. I have seen Now, that. does it have to be Red River? I don't... Well, but I, I wouldn't claim and that. I, we'll get into some of the conflict and drama. And I would re- say no, because it's in black and white, and a lot of what's great about Westerns is the color palette of like um what's the valley that john ford monument loves? valley, monument valley. Yeah. like that kind of stuff and uh all the textures and whatnot of the old west i mean i i feel like that's i don't disagree with you strong color parts. brings uh, like color cinematography widescreen composition that there there's something to the western landscape that that really works well with but again the historian in me feels like okay but if you don't understand that this genre existed for decades, like before 
we had the ability to shoot these color films and they were bringing people to the theaters before we had sports cars so i don't know i I feel like you'd want to see at least a few of those but but okay Okay. we can can put that aside (laughs) american i want to dwell on this point for as long as (laughs) possible i just don't want our listeners to come away thinking like ignore brilliantly synopsize the film brilliantly brilliantly Brilliantly. just i've already played a card in a that you like this film in an old-fashioned poker game at the saloon <laughs> I, I liked this film very very much okay i enjoyed this film a lot mm. anybody want to take a guess how i felt about it <laughs> yeah and we'll, um, maybe we'll go around the horn I, I thought this was a fantastic pick for us uh-huh. i thought I, I i grew up with a father that watched anything like on the channel surfing when John Wayne was on the screen. Same, honestly. Yeah? Yeah. My and, dad loves. See, Westerns. my dad did not love And Westerns. it put me off to John Wayne. Uh-huh. I have, you know, visited him at the Searchers and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I think John Wayne does the a McCarthy good... McCarthy trials. A good job. Oh, yeah, but okay. But McCarthyism hadn't even occurred yet when this film was made. Not quite. Uh, and, if we watch a, and, if, and if we're going to watch films that only um, have perfect people, we're not going to watch any movies. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. Right. Uh, so, um, and John Wayne, at least, was was very obvious about yeah, what he, he was pretty, <laughs> sure, He, he was wasn't trying to hide it, it from yeah, anybody. Yeah, he was yeah. pretty straight about it. Um, so separating the art from the artist here, I thought John Wayne did a great job. It's really my... What what would I have seen Montgomery Clifton that I'm forgetting right oh, now? Um, uh, because I, I've I've heard the name uh, Walter Brennan. Of course, you see everyone from Dana Carvey to Andrew Dice Clay right. uh, doing a Walter Brennan impersonation. This is I, I, okay. I get it now. Yeah, I get why he's this emblematic figure. Oh, it's one in, of the most recognizable voices. Sure, that you're ever but he's hear. hilarious. Yeah, he is hilarious yeah. In, in the film, and. Um, We'll get, I guess, into some details. Well, but. he's also kind of the moral center of the film yeah. in, in his own way. But yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if I come at, come away from this film feeling quite as... I was entertained. ...assured in my feelings about it as you do, Joe, because I, there's a lot of inner conflict when I watch a film like this. Um, I... You know, going back to what I was saying just a few minutes ago, the historian in me looks at this and wants to experience it through that lens of what was this doing at mm-hmm. that time, right? Like, why were audiences... Like, for, 1948, my dad was born in 43. He would have been five years old. Mm-hmm. I know he was going to the movie theater regularly when he was a kid. That was back in the day of the A and the B picture and the newsreels, and the and he would tell me about going... And I can imagine him, at five years old, plopping down his nickel or seven cents or whatever it was to get into the theater at that time and watching this and then going out with his friends in the alley behind the theater and Play, shooting their guns, you know, ca- which were cowboy. probably actual cap guns. They carried fully loaded <laughs> Colt 45. Yeah. It was a simpler, more beautiful time, yeah, Carlos. No, they, Westbrook was a tough city. Uh, yeah. uh, Sierra, uh, Treasure, <laughs> of, yeah. Treasure of the Sierra Madre came yeah. out this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Oscar was won by Hamlet. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I'm trying to get an idea yeah, of what... Yeah, Mel Gibson movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, so that time travel. He never ages <laughs> until now. <laughs> so there's that part of me that, you know, if I watch it with that kind of lens, and actually I even, I remember, I think shortly after I did this, I texted you guys and said, I feel like... I'm living the most American life I ever have. I woke up first thing on Father's Day. I started cooking bacon and put Red River on the TV. <laughs> like, it, there's just no other way. You to... could have been my dad. Yeah, I know, right? I, or, you know, somebody's dad. Did you cook it shirtless? Yeah. <laughs> Hell no, I'm not going to singe I know that he chest hair because with hot the, grease. I, I know he didn't because it wasn't on his Instagram. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it would have been. been. Yeah, shirtless cooking. Shirtless with always... an apron, though. <laughs> 
holding a spatula. Like McCarthyism aside, I'm really yeah. eager to get around so, the horn here because yeah. what did you not like well, about okay, this movie? Well, okay, but there, so there is, a, I'll get to that, right? So there is that part of me that just tries to go into it on its terms and appreciate it for what it is. And and filled with bacon. In the, in the sense that like you're seeing these rough and tumble characters, though, again, as later look, Westerns <laughs> show us... Awfully pretty and they not as like cut up they, as you would really expect men on the trail to be at, at, you know, this era. Every scene, they look like they just took a shower. Right, right. So so there's a little bit of discrepancy there. But if you can go with it and kind of appreciate they are big, broad-shouldered men, right? John Wayne is imposing press. And you see these, like, manly men out in this rough landscape, this you know, the wilderness, and sort of doing something that really just shouldn't even be possible. How the hell are you going to get these thousands of cattle to move over this great distance in any sort of orderly fashion that's going to allow you to retain enough of them to make but it's like an impossible uh journey that somehow happened over and over and over again and this yeah. was a feature so so and loss of life and loss of her yeah were yeah. in the equation yeah mm-hmm. so there's something if i can let myself go with that that's kind of beautiful about it now the stuff that i get hung up on carlos has already kind of teed us up about i mean you're watching a film about you know manifest destiny you're watching a film about the white men coming in and claiming land for themselves and acting as if they have the rights to it. Murdering anyone that Murdering anybody way. who stands in their way with a sense of just uh, sort of, you know, anger towards those who would try to thwart their ability yeah. to make the money that they feel is there. It, there's some ideological stuff in there with this kind of Western that I do get hung up on, right? Because now... I will say, I think one of the things about Red River that I like a little bit more than some Westerns is it does actually put a little bit of a critical lens on that, right? Because Dunson is not really our hero. He's a psychopath. He, he is. He's a, he's a real problem. Now, I do have a problem with the way the film tries to wrap that up. <laughs> but, yeah. but the big conflict in this film is he is a maniacal tyrant who is so cavalier in his attitudes towards the land and other people that the other people eventually turn on him, right? I mean, you're not... I mean, not- some guys want to quit, and rather than just being like, all right, I guess you can go, he's like, no. I'm going to hang you. No, <laughs> he shoots the right, first right, guys. Right, 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 right. And then it's like, no, that death is too quick. No, we're going to hang you. I must yes. make you suffer. So, I mean, it, you're seeing that play out, and he is essentially punished for it, at least for a time, and what you see is a slightly more sympathetic um well let's just say his son takes on the the remainder of the cattle drive and they oust this psychopathic leader right right and And now he now he needs revenge and the money that he was owed right right so so i like that the film actually does put a little bit of a critical spotlight on that kind of behavior in a way that some other westerns may not I just can't. I just don't care. Not at all. I just don't care about it. I Is it because you're watching a 1948 time capsule that isn't like a Citizen Kane, which of course is earlier, or, or some... Like, I, mean, I, I don't I, like Westerns. I like, the, I like the noir stuff from that time. Like, I like the Third Man. Sure. And mm-hmm. Double Indemnity, oh, the Maltese yeah. Falcon, like black and white, uh, very ha- much of their time kind of Have you of seen films. any good Westerns that, that aren't a Wild Wild West Silverado type thing? Uh, Unforgiven, some people might say, is more modern. That one I haven't seen. Dances uh, with Wolves. 
<laughs> I, I very, I'm very anti Kevin Costner. Um, the last like 30 minutes of Open Range is pretty good, but the two and a half hours that preceded are not worth huh. the payoff. That's an interesting um, one to cite. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, it would make sense. You probably saw it around when it came out, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. went and saw it with my dad. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I no, there's not a lot of westerns that do anything for me really. I Young just Guns. Don't care. Um, <laughs> don't care. Uh, <laughs> I don't care about it. I don't. I don't it, care about the. It's I don't tough. Care, it I don't li- care about the format. I don't care about the. I mean, really, they're largely propaganda. Um, they're heavily centered on boring white men. I was going. My plan going into this was to say that John Wayne is a pretty shit actor. Oh, he is. And, uh, but the defense that I would mount. For Keanu Reeves, you could easily mount for John Wayne. I, so I would be very I'm hypocritical glad that you can in see, saying I'm glad that. that. You can see it's that. not um, a bad comparison. Because it's a, gra- I mean, said, it's a great comparison. In part, it's just his physicality. It's just him being on the screen. It's also right place, right time. It's also connecting sure. with my dad. Yeah. Connecting with, you said your dad, not, no, your dad, Carl. Yeah. My, yeah. No, strangely, whatever reason, I was too rebellious to connect. For whatever reason, a generation connects with an actor that is very, very popular that older people, younger people just do not understand. Mm-hmm. The Rock, uh, John Cena. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go down a weird <laughs> rabbit hole here. I don't want to go down a metal rabbit hole here. But um, uh, it, it's, it's, loyal it was, it was John Wayne. How much I love John Cena. It was <laughs> John Wayne. And yeah, I mean, I, I he, couldn't as a kid, and then a, a, a budding film enthusiast, and then a paid film critic. If, if you don't look, this? if no, no, I'm talking about in a previous life. Like, Someday what? our shit comes in, <laughs> and it all happens on Patreon. Um, Patreon.com slash Beer and Movie Podcast, a bonus episode every week for only $5 a month. This week, we're going deep into McCarthyism. Um, <laughs> I hope so. That'd be a fun. Actually, that'd be we'll a very watch fun. Guilty episode. by suspicion at some point. I that. had a like. Your dad is your hero. Your dad is your dad, right? But when my dad had this weird love for John Wayne, McCarthyism aside, yeah, it was me saying, "You don't understand what acting's supposed to be." Mm. Okay, because I'm the young kid that's not. I, idealizing what my dad does much like my daughter and son don't often idealize what my, what I do right and why I chase the things they idealize to let them know how cool I am <laughs> it happens um, but I don't have the problem you do Carlos I see a good movie can be a good movie and if, if I if I didn't go into every single genre open-eyed then I feel limited by that. So to say all westerns suck to me, it, it, that's a weird, well, hefty knife. I, but what? I, but, but I'm not saying that all westerns. I know. Suck. Yeah, I'm, you, you misunderstand me. I'm saying that I do not care about. I'm being that. hyperbolic. I there are, like I said, there are some that are worth watching for cinematography reasons for. Uh, learning about effective shot composition mm-hmm. and things like that, um, but. There's not a lot to learn from them, in my opinion, from like in, in story, interesting storytelling. I mean, they're just like they are what they are, and it's fine. I mean, it was the popular genre. You know, I don't know. It's like with pop music. There's so much bad pop music, and then there's a few things that are good. I think, that and then a I lot of the you... good that comes from pop music becomes something else. It's no longer pop music. Yeah. It's like synth pop which is a subgenre, yeah. you know and so there are probably good there are 
maybe possibly second half good subgenres of the western or things that took influence from the western that I mean, right. good Western, um, fucking Django or uh, Hateful Eight. Tarantino has effectively like taken on the Western in some form or fashion. I mean, they, he doesn't do a one-to-one right. kind of copy yeah. of it's it. It's a Tarantino but, story but it, set he, in a Western. He takes things from it. And I, I think and that if we different. sifted through Westerns, and David and I played a little game where we, where we went back and forth with Westerns that we actually really do like and would suggest to you, if you sift through them, you're going to find the same thing. Good stories presented in this time setting or historical setting. Now... I, I guess we should take five minutes to talk about some of the problematic modern notion because it's come up again and again and again. But other than that, I enjoyed the strong female character that gets shot by an arrow. I enjoyed the homoerotic... I'll fi- let me finish. Buster uh, Scruggs, another one. Ch- channel uh, guns. Uh, the gun, when when he and the other young gunman, mm-hmm. when Montgomery Clift and the other young gunman trade gu- Can I see your gun? Yeah. I guess you want to see my gun. Yeah. Oh, your gun's so good. Your gun feels so good in my hand. Now, I don't know if in 1948 these were screenwriters who were writing way ahead of their time in this weird homoerotic thing, but I enjoy. I was laughing. Yeah. I, I was laughing in a way that I don't know if the filmmakers intended or not. When she gets shot in the arrow and he sucks this, let me suck that poison out of the arrow. And you know, in 1948, this is titillating cinema. We're watching like barely PG 13. He's got her mouth on, he's got his mouth on her neck and he's sucking. And this isn't, I mean, this might still be in a time, but if it isn't, it's not far removed from a time where you couldn't show a married couple sleeping in the same bed. This is that time. This is the production code is in full effect. Okay. Right. But when you're sucking poison out from an arrow wound, you can totally do it because that's very utilitarian. Well, you're saving somebody's life, yes. Um, I enjoyed uh, Groot, uh, Cookie. I'm going to call him Cookie Mm -hmm. because that's what you call every cook on a wagon train. Um, He was hilarious. And I know that you've got problems with the word engine, and so do I. But that vernacular back then, I suppose, was more acceptable than it is now. Certainly. But the idea that this Native American tracker interpreter had won his teeth in a poker game his mm-hmm. dentures yeah and kept them yeah was was hilarious it was fantastic and a great running gag i mean so you see the and then howard hawks i always like to watch a howard hawks film what's a director we could compare to howard hawks today he'll do anything but do it really well and cinematographically he is always awesome he'll do the western he'll do the his uh my, his comedy, girl friday yeah. um uh it came from another planet what was the he did some sci-fi, sci-fi he yeah. did all of it so to put him in our is our first Howard Hawks film. So yeah. I think this is a win. I think this is really worth seeing. And I don't have the problem with the Western if you present a great film that my uh, Fast and the Furious loving co-host here does. <laughs> I mean, I think it's always tough. Fast and Furious is kind of a Western. I think it's always tough with genres that don't immediately click with the, or, or that you even actively find that there's just not interest there. I mean, I know plenty of people who just do not like horror films because, you know, sure. for various reasons. Right. They don't Scary. want to be scared. A, a movie they musical. They don't want things that remind them of things. Musicals, yeah. right? In, Another in the genre. And the Heights flopped at the box office. I don't know if every single musical will ever flop at the box office, but it wasn't right for now. Right. And Westerns and, aren't and right for now. And most Westerns flop at the box See, office They're not right, right for now, now. Right? I mean, this is, like I said, it takes the historical lens to really yeah. even, I, I think, for me, begin to approach it. And I think, as you were describing, Joe, for those who do 
maybe have that kind of love for the Western, a lot of it often is traceable back to a parent, often a father. It's a very masculine genre, right? It's, it's one that had a lot of men as its core audience. And I think if you have some kind of attachment like that, like you used to watch Westerns with your dad when you were a kid, um, or he would show you his favorite Westerns or talk to you about them, I could see having that kind of deep connection with the genre. For me, it is it is still more of a, <clears throat> a theoretical exercise than it is an it's actual homework. love. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a homework situation. Now, that said, I have seen a handful over the years that I can respect, and this is one of them. I do think it is in many respects, a well-made film. I think you've already pointed out some of the things that I, I think are notable about it. I, th- um, I thought some of those river crossings were tense and yeah. and looked dangerous. Sure. I, th- I mean, I could go on and on. Right. Um, I think that if you're looking for a cattle drive Western, it begins and ends with Lonesome Dove, which is not a film. It's a miniseries, television right. miniseries. But have you watched, have you guys I watched have Lonesome not. Dove? I have not. It is an investment, you're, but you're going to see Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Duvall at the height of their powers. In a, and, and it's Lonesome Dove's a very, very good book, one of my favorites. Is that Larry McMurtry? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And we well, have never done Last Picture Show on this show. No, we should do that. And that is a crime. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to kill both of you motherfuckers. <laughs> It's, so I'm John Wayne. You got to finish the episode on your own. <laughs> I can do it. But it is a case where it feels like uh, a kind of story that doesn't resonate as deeply with me as I would like it to. Let, let's say that. Like, it, it, you know, I can appreciate it for what it is. I can be happy that I've seen it and that um, I understand one more of the John Wayne performances yeah. that helped make him what he is as a, you know, he was already that, but I mean, that helped cement his position as an icon of Western films. John Wayne got asses in the seats. Absolutely. Yeah. What, and as you said, Walter Brennan, this is probably the role of his that I'm most familiar with. I've seen him in a couple other Westerns here yeah. or there, but you know, it's great in such an iconic voice. And even Montgomery Clift, who you, you made mention of, like he didn't really get tagged as a Western star. He went on and did a lot of different types of films, and he was actually more uh, tied in with method acting. I mean, yeah. he, along with right. Brando I was gonna and Dean, say. were like the three guys who in the late 40s, yeah. early 50s, were coming out of that you know, method approach to acting. I, I read um, some analysis that talked about the idea of putting John Wayne, who was cl- classic Hollywood, yep. and... Montgomery Clift, Clift in a film together was very interesting mm-hmm. because you were seeing two very different acting styles and two very very different like like gen, uh, what am I trying to say generational styles. Yep, and that Montgomery Clift as the um, symbol of this new movement was robbed by Marlon Brando. Mm. Because Marlon Brando is the is the symbol of yeah. that method acting shift around mm-hmm. Streetcar Named Desire, and then from there, even into The Godfather, uh, he didn't do such a good job in Doctor of Isla, Island of Doctor Moreau <laughs> or but Don Juan DeMarco. But him that, and Johnny yeah. Depp together is interesting. <laughs> so maybe someday we'll do a later right. Brando episode. Will we ever do a second <laughs> westerns episode? That's my question. <laughs> you know. We'll see where we go in the second half of this episode. I I don't know that... I I don't feel like we'll have our work done after this this episode. Seven Samurai could be considered a Western. It 
certainly could if you watch the Magnificent Seven and yeah. you know see it exactly being adapted into a western. Yeah, and Look, it's the, maybe it's the American lens on the western that I don't care for. Well, and it, and but I like you said the Manifest Destiny. Let's take everything from the brown people. Yeah, but that's histo- yeah. that's historical fact. It's it, it, the it film is isn't fact. to be blamed for the historical fact. No, it fact is no, But it is about how you handle that. And that's, does it glorify so it or does it back, show? Well, okay, mm, but yeah, look, this how does it now? I will, like I said a, a few minutes ago, I give this film credit for not just allowing Thomas Dunson to be this unchecked hero. Although in fact, he is at he, the end. He is kind of He is the hero, the but villain he's not unchecked. At, by like the second act of the film. But then by the end of the film, we get this very rushed coming back into, like he's pursuing uh, Matt, right? I His mean, son. he is going after. He wants to kill and, and Matt. He is probably going to kill him, given everything we know about the film. But then, yeah. magically, well, ma- the, the magic of a woman, right? The, the, well, magically, they don't use guns; they use fists, right? Because right. if it were guns, we know. Uh, well, we don't know because you know yeah. there was a whole gun show. If you know what I mean, wink, wink. Yeah, earlier but it, in the film, well, but Matt's it really got comes, the fastest hands in the West. Yeah, but it really comes down to Tess intervening, sure, and sort of the Hawks woman, so the Hawks th- female, yeah, who th- agrees to just bear a son for him. At some <laughs> no, 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 that was a, that was it, a chess move. That was a it chess was. Move. I mean, I I think it it was a bargaining chip, but that's what she played. That is what she, you know. I could give you an heir. You know, I, this could be yeah. But she, <laughs> this film's awesome. There's, there's some moments, and again, now from a standpoint of is that period accurate? I mean, honestly, I think that probably is one of the period. Daniel Plainview does it, and we laud the film. John Wayne does it, and it's Daniel who does it? Da- uh, Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood. There will be blood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's a he is objectively the villain in that movie. I yeah. mean, he's understood, but we're seeing well. This is the it. Power I mean, I don't think. When Land you see a grabs. movie like Red River, you're seeing an anti-hero who Hollywood is not willing to really have be an anti-hero. They still yeah. have to, at the end, redeem him. I guess they define and show that, that he's point, got to. You there know what I mean? Blood is a critique of that type of person. What, what it? There will be blood. Yeah, like it is unequivocally negative in the way that it views. Yeah. Though it does, I mean, how he operates. And folks, you can go back and listen to our review of that. But I mean, you know, it it sort of counterposes the capitalist and the religious leader, and sort of has them warring against each other as like with the religious leader with one hand (laughs) tied behind his back because he's a fraud. Uh, But we digress. And 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 neither of them. What episode is that? uh, Neither of them are painted well. No, no, and that's what that's the difference. Ultimately, ultimately. Westerns do glorify. I don't like, think he's being glorified. I don't think we're going, yeah, John Wayne, you do that, and it's a good thing. But he's the hero in the beginning. Sure, he loses it for a little bit, but then we come back around to wanting, they want us to love him again at the end. He's redeemed by reconnecting with this adopted son and accepting that what he had done will change the brand. You've the earned, right thing. He brings him in. Like, ownership. I, I, I hear where you're, you know, what you're saying, Joe, but I, I do think that this is something a little bit different and that's why you know as much as i like my films more complicated uh, (laughs) well if it was that's what that's what i wanted to stay complicated the the ending that that final sequence there and it's only like five minutes at the end of the film reduces what could have been a very complex sort of story about what this you know sort of western expansion and this kind of unchecked ambition and, and aggression 
Okay, so was. I the last thing I'll say about it. I agree with what you're saying about the historical perspective thing of like looking at this time in Hollywood and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And also, you know, I'm not putting anything on this film like it should have been more aware or politically correct or anything of that sort because nobody thought that particular way at the time. Right. You know what I mean? Um, But all of that being said, the Western is a subgenre of film that is fundamentally built on the glorification of colonialism and then consequently if you piece two and two together like you know genocide and despite those films making sense for their time i today currently watching them almost 100 years later in some cases can't care about it well almost all of them in the genre pre-1960 really are guilty of this oversimplification of all of it yeah. that makes and and casting the you know anglo heroes of the film who in have such to a way fight against the evil natives right, who that are make doing it what? really hard i <laughs> think know? from a modern standpoint and again i i hear what you're saying carlos like even putting that kind of historian's hat on you come away feeling like oh my god i can't believe we were so wedded to this version of what western expansion was yeah. why are we you know, why were we stuck in this for so long? But then you look at what was going on around it contextually, and it makes sense what what we were trying to do to, like, kind of forge this American identity. And, to, yeah. you know, and but what's interesting is that I do think as you go get past 1960, we see some traces or, or, or not traces, but we see some clear indications that. Filmmakers were interested in telling stories that actually complicated that a whole lot more, even than Red River did yeah. um, in this. And I and I think that's which actually dips what, its toe in in its defense, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, dips its toe a little bit, but doesn't right. right. It doesn't. Commit. So w- we've dipped our toe in with Bandera Brewery with this first half of the episode. Am I am I segueing too quickly, we Joe? Dipped you wanted boot. to say something? I just wanted to say that episode ninety eight is oh, okay. when we talked about there will be blood, mm-hmm. along with No Country for Old Men. Yes. Please listen back. And that rhubarb pie beer. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That was funny. Um, But now we've had an IPA from Bandera Brewery. Yes. And we're not exactly sure which one it is, but it's it's a hefty one. So I think it's one of their... I think it's a double or an imperial by their standards. Just based on what I was able to find online, it seems like once they get over 7%, they start calling them Imperials. Or There was one called Imperial Towel! Exclamation point. Yeah, and I, and I don't have a message back yeah. from our um, mule. But we've been sipping on this. What's wrong with talking. this beer? I don't think anything. This you is think not, something's wrong? This is not an IPA, right? Really? Yeah, it's got malt up my uh, it's both ma- nostrils. Well, I think, okay. An Imperial would. Though. I hear what you're saying, Joe. I think this is a classic sort of double IPA situation. It's a malt bomb. It is a classic, like 90s craft beer wave, mm. early. Now, it's a gift beer, so I'm, that, I'm, I'm reserving massive criticism. I don't think this is as much of a... Shoot straight, man. Shoot straight. The, there isn't as much of Show a... Show me yours. <laughs> there isn't as much of a pronounced sweetness with this maltiness as I get on some double IPAs. So I'm not put off by that as much. I'm getting a definite bitterness. Definite bitterness. Especially on the back end, which, so when it's you say this doesn't bitterness. count as an IPA, I think it does. I think I'm definitely, 
if if somebody just handed this to me without even IPA written on the can, you know, you'd identify. It, I would identify I would it say, as an IPA. Yeah, this has got to be or a pale an IPA. Ale at least. I would have said double though because of that malt. You know, like the, maybe there is the color enough. would give that away. Well, that's true too. It's more of an but amber. It, it it reminds me more of like that's the Sierra it. Nevada the color? pale ale. Is it the color that's my problem? That maybe. might be. It's, we've we've grown accustomed to the hazies. So that, but that's it. So I think this is more of an old school double IPA. And when I say old school, I mean like old school American, not that it's like we're going back to the British Isles. No. No. This it, is, to me... When bitterness was the the goal. goal. Yeah. When that was what we were measuring an IPA by right. was how, how... The old dogfish head. You know, like, this? oh man, this has got would you like buy a, this again? 180 IBU. I would actually drink this again. Yeah. I would much, I would, much against my history with IPAs on this show, I did not find... Now, granted, I didn't drink nearly as much of it as you did. Um, this is, came out later, but I not really drinking right now uh, in a substantial way. So maybe if I had had as much volume wise you did by the end of it, I'd be fatigued of it and maybe I'd feel differently, but having taken like three or four sips of it, yeah, I would actually care for some more, <laughs> you know, I think it's, I think it's pretty good for what it is. Um, that being it, said, I don't love it, but yeah, I like it's, it. it's not something that I'd be going to every time, but if I was at Bandera and I got this as part of a flight, uh, four ounces of this. You would think it's a solid addition. I would think, yeah, this is a nice double okay. IPA. Double IPAs, just like old school double IPAs, aren't usually what I go to anyway. No. So I don't think I'd ever be ordering a pint of this, but this is pretty good. You know, you're probably you're probably right. A flight for me would be where this thrives because I had a little, I had about half of what would come in a flight. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about flights. Flights. I got to write this down in the after hours. Okay. I have a question okay. about flights. Question, okay. question about flights. Questions about McCarthyism. <laughs> yep. Write it down. Write it down. Okay. So um, I have a theory that will be, will, be, will be either dispelled or enhanced by this. I let the cat out of the bag, right? A stout. We're going to mm-hmm. do a stout in the second half by the same brewery. Just stout. Mm-hmm. Okay. I... I, I write down uh, the lens of time in social justice films. Write that down. Just make it better than what I said. Lens of time. <laughs> lens of time. Uh, well, what would the lens of time say the about this episode? We'll only know, I guess, maybe 70 years from now. But you only have to wait a few seconds before we get back from the break and we talk about another Western, one that was made in the 60s magical era, um, that, that I think takes a very different look at the Western landscape than what we've seen in Red River when we get back. No oh, you've got those stouts in your hey, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got to get the uh, the beer out for this half of the episode. And we're back. And if anybody's thinking about quitting, <laughs> this is it's uh, an odd take. <laughs> an odd take. What are yeah. you talking about? My take on Red River that we'll we just talk discussed? about it on after hours. Patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast. Five dollars a month gets you a bonus and episode every single week. About so uh, in the six pack that was just 
porch bombed onto my porch. There were three IPAs and three stouts. So we're drinking a stout now. It's 10% even. I would say that's an imperial. Yeah. It's got to be. I didn't say this in the last review. Hated the music in Red River. Well, it's good you mentioned music because well, I think we're going to yeah. be talking a lot we're about the music in this that, second is, half. But I, meant, I, meant, I meant to mention it to tee us up for the conversation in this half, and I forgot because of McCarthyism. Yeah, who, <laughs> who, who did the score for that? I didn't even know. Oh, know. Dimitri Tiomkin. Yeah. I looked it up, and it was no one that I recognized, so I was like, eh. Yeah, yeah. No, he, did, he did a lot of Westerns. We didn't put our nose I in mean, the IPA. Should we put our nose in the stout? Sure, why not? Why not? Okay, what are we talking about? We've got a 10% stout from Bandera Brewery. Brewery, brewery, The birth of the Chisholm Trail. Um, In our glass. So we are talking now, the second half, we are uh, moving continents. Let me ask you a question. Well, moving continents in terms of production. In terms of production, yeah. But staying right here in the United States in terms of setting. What year was Red River supposed to have taken place? Did they give us... Was it near the Great Depression? The the cattle drive was a function of the Great Depression? It was like 1870s, 1880s. Oh, 1800s. Because it was was after the Civil War. Remember, the South's economy had been decimated. That was why he needed to drive the cattle so far. Isn't that fascinating? The idea of the Civil War as a um, setting... Of the of a Western, or or at least putting it in the context of the Civil War, mm-hmm. because certainly that was the rebuilding of the country, right? Okay, interesting. That's right. So yeah. the Civil War comes up in this week. It does, sure. yeah. So we're we're moving to what is um, widely known as the definitive spaghetti western. It is an epic spaghetti western film directed by Sergio Leone and starring Clint Eastwood. It's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It is the the third, third installment in the Dollars trilogy and the third collaboration between Leone and Eastwood. Um, again, a western starring a noted racist. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, 1966. uh, And in this film, uh, we are looking at three characters who are looking for um, a stash of Confederate gold in the middle of the Civil War, specifically in the New Mexico area. Mm Mm-hmm. I think they get into Texas a little bit, right? Did I make that They up? talk about going to Texas, but, but they, they stay never, in New Mexico. They stay in New Mexico. Uh, sorry, yeah, so starring Clint Eastwood, Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef. This is the second time he appears in a Leon Western, um, and then a slew of other people as well. Um, a largely Italian production, but there's many other countries involved in, in, in producing it, largely shot in Spain, um, but set in the U.S., um, I think that's the synopsis. I mean, I don't know that there's a three whole lot. Of I mean, it's three hours. Characters. Well, and, it is, yeah. And they have names in the film. Angel uh, Eyes. Blondie. Who we Blondie. also know as Bad. <laughs> to go. So Angel Eyes is Bad. The Bad. Blondie is good. Blondie, Clint Eastwood, is the good. Yeah. Though it's and not then, clear what would make him good, but no, that's all right. We, and, <laughs> um, Tuco. And Eli, and Eli Wallach playing Tuco is, is the, the, ugly. the ugly. Which is the clear. Good, I mean, he the is bad, the ugliest. Very the ugly. Bunch, yeah. yeah, I mean... I have prepared uh, it's, some it's, notes. It's a high bar. Do you mind? Go, go for it. You got notes. You you Monday lunch is Joe does beer and a movie notes. Okay. Monday lunch was fucked today. Oh no! It was just a fucked day. Today was a fucked day. But I had uh, started my notes, and it says <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. Director Edward Wright. 
What? <laughs> what? Well, it's a Google Doc, so I hadn't taken the director of the sports. Oh, you, off you were working off of it. last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So last week, what? I, I know. What? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to After Hours to hear the whole story. Okay, so we um, Patreon.com slash Beer This podcast. is the first note that I wrote after I texted you guys. Like, so I, wa- I started watching the film. Yeah, and I texted you guys. Push pause, and I texted you guys a thing about the opening credits and how they were made. So the opening credits are. <laughs> so if you don't know the good and the bad and the ugly, and you're still with us, it's that movie. It's yeah. it's that amazing score. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's a, mo- a motif that is played again and again. But mm-hmm. the opening credits are, are, are a gorgeous art project. And you could stop the film at the end of the opening credits and they did good enough. But the very first <laughs> shot, the very first shot of this film is a Technicolor, you know, widescreen shot of a vista that can only be seen on widescreen. And uh, the next time, I've seen The Good and the Bad and the Ugly part of today, but the next time it's at Alamo or something like that, I, I'm going because the beauty of this film is the vista of the film and the composition of the shots and what they put on the screen. And you see this vista that is in perfect focus, and then all of a sudden, this ugly man face, this sweaty, ugly, dirty man face pops into screen, but, but the focus doesn't pull you don't see a a change in the focus it's just him in focus Mm -hmm. and at that moment i realize you know you realize when you see this film for the first time i'm about to see cinema a film uh the the notion that what is on the screen is put there purposefully for us to see and the film doesn't disappoint until the very yeah yeah, for us to see in a specific way um, I had not seen this film before watching it for this podcast, which again really? reaffirms my disinterest in westerns. This film does. No, I'm no, saying he, the, the fact the, that the I fact hadn't that you seen, hadn't it, seen oh. it. The fact that I hadn't seen it reaffirms my disinterest. You had painted in it with a brush that it did not deserve. No, because I never have never had any negative feelings about this film. There has never been a point in my life where I thought that this was going to be a bad film, like. Ever, I never. But but I, without but, love for the Western genre, it was a hard film to get yourself to. It's want a hard to film watch. to get myself to watch. It's three fucking hours long. It is. You're. I mean, I have to say, you're, <laughs> you texted us. You're asking. No one to, told me this was three and a half hours long. because well, because well, I started watching it at work, and then I realized this movie's three hours. It's not going to be something that I can watch at work. Uh, th- this episode is being recorded the same week as another episode, which I put a lot of effort into. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, so reaffirms my disinterest in westerns because it's something that you know i know i should have seen etc etc but this also reaffirms my take earlier that there are some westerns that are worth seeing because of things like shot composition and scenery and colors and textures and and in this case which is not the case in a lot of westerns the music but and how this it, is a western. Oh I'll, I'll I'll say it now. This is a western that I like. Um, I mean, I would, any of you guys didn't like this movie? Did you hear my enthusiasm? Because oh, no. I was going to say you'd have to be out of your mind to not like this movie. Uh, it's I have, a, I have a couple problems with it. it but. Well, I mean that's fair, but to say like this is a bad film would be absolutely insane. Um, but for a lot of reasons, I mean, one there's a uh, the story is much more interesting. I feel. Uh, than something like Red River. Um, 
but also everyone's dirty. Mm -hmm. Everyone's sweaty. It's hot as fuck outside. You know, I mean, there's so much more of a realistic texture to what this time and place is like than what we see in Hollywood Westerns. There's a grit to it that a Western needs to be believable. Well, now that you've seen it, it feels like it has to be there. Right. I mean, but that's. Yeah. So. It is silly to compare but the two nobody films. Had really, but nobody had really seen that. No, but it's totally that. appropriate. Because in 1948, you didn't dirty up your stars. But this no. film doesn't exist There's unless we had there. what happened in 1948. Sure. This is going back yeah. to what I said in the beginning. This is why I feel like, you know, Carlos at the beginning of the episode saying, I don't like Westerns, and I, I'm butchering what he said, but, you know, like, and I don't think Westerns, anybody, I don't think anybody needs to ever watch a Western. Yeah. That's where I take umbrage with it, because... If you haven't seen at least a couple or, you know, a few of these earlier Hollywood westerns that were more the earlier kind of romanticized version of the western that we got from Hollywood, then this film doesn't make as much sense for how revelatory it had to have been when it arrived on the scene, right? Right, right. Not to mention the fact that you're pulling an actor... And this kind of goes back to, um, you know, an episode from a couple of years ago when we watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're seeing the TV actor, Clint Eastwood, coming from Rawhide, being brought into this European filmmaking, you know, um, situation to make this very American genre, but in a way that totally upends the things that the American genre usually did, right? So we're not going to romanticize it. We are going to make it dirty. We're going to show you how despicable these people are. We're going to show you how all the motivations are greed and um, self-interest. Yeah. We're going to uncover what the actual drive for America to build itself as a society is. And it's self-interest. It's this kind of... It's, it's totally devastating. And once you've seen it, it feels absolutely like what the Western should be. Like the Western should be a critical examination of what drove us to become the country that we are. The Western and it's should only, be, or every film, and it's be. only. Well, I mean, the, the Western certainly because it's yeah. the, what it what it had been was this sort of fictionalized, mythologized, romanticized version of America coming up. You know, like American strong colonialism. men going out and forging the frontier, and you know, creating. Um, re, At you know, war wealth with the and, engine, wealth and resources where there were none before. Where right. these were these stupid people who didn't understand how they could rape the earth and get money out of it. Yeah. We're, you know what I mean? Like we're we're paving over all this stuff that we did and just making it seem like no, it's a, it's about the sturdy strength of the European settler and how you know much they were. This film <laughs> is about greed and deception uh-huh. and how rotten people are and you have it cast against the backdrop of a <laughs> of a war that cost you know hundreds of thousands of lives and right. b- and showing the folly of that war at the same time oh my gosh i i mean this is this is magic in yeah. a bottle when you when you see a film like this which most would call again spaghetti western yeah. is appropriate because it was because produced it was in shot Italy, in Italy. You know, or or shot in Spain but produced with and an Italian was, and, crew and there was a huge um, I did a little research uh, of course mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a huge backlash in Hollywood 
funded by Hollywood mm -hmm. in the press to say if it's a quote unquote spaghetti western, it is of inferior value right, right. and inferior you, you know, cinema. This film, film going. right here, and don't go of, see that shit. Most of the spaghetti westerns were not critically praised at the time. At the time, critics. In, in, at least uh, American critics were not saying, oh, yes, these films are doing something to the Western. That's like, right. They were saying go see these the are cheaply don't made, go see, right. bad films that you don't need Horrible to, yeah, example yeah. because the timing's not correct. Right. But, but you see this, and like Carlos is saying, when, when you actually look at it and you think about how accurately is this capturing this period right. in some way, much more accurately, right? There's dirt on these people. Their clothes are torn up. This is what it looks like to be out on the trail for months, years of your sure. life that you're not, you know what I mean? So you see something like this and it is, it's very hard to go back to those classic Westerns and feel like you're not being lied to the whole time. <laughs> and it's not just a whitewash so of this situation. So tonight when I get home, I'm going to Google some anti-hero cinema history. Uh -huh. Okay, because so Carlos, you said... The good, the bad, the ugly. Well, we're shown that Clint Eastwood Blondie is the good. He's the one that has... Well, okay, let me go back to my original point. The reason why he's good is because we're watching an anti-hero be painted. I don't know if it's on a blank canvas. I'm going to find that out. But the idea that he is the best of these three. And we should probably fill in just a couple of details. The notion that there's $200,000 worth of Confederate gold buried in a grave in a cemetery. Mm -hmm. Tuco, the ugly, knows that the name of the cemetery. Blondie, the good, knows the name of the grave site. Right. And because they're not going to share the information with one another, there is this and then the and then the bad is he, he just knows the he gold knows is about being it all but does yeah. no doesn't know the details but knows that these guys know the details. So it becomes the whole the entire film the series of double crosses. I'll leave you in the desert to die, but you don't die. You catch me, and then you'll leave me in the desert to die, but I don't die, and then I catch you to... You know. Yeah. And that is such an interesting conceit that is brilliant. Yeah. The idea that we are all untrustworthy, Yeah. but we all have information that can help one another. So at the end of the day... The three of them get in the same place at the same time, and then you get the classic scene in the circle in the middle of the graveyard. Right, the, th the three-way standoff. The yeah. three-way standoff. Yeah. Think about the three-way standoff. I have to kill one of them first and then try to kill the second one first and think about who every single other person is going to do in that order. Yeah. With that music behind it. Yeah, well, and that, and that's no small <laughs> it's, it's thing. Incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, to film. me, you know, rewatching this film, it it's astounding how, for, for one thing, just how distinctive this film is visually. I mean, a lot of the other spaghetti westerns kind of follow. You know, Leone had uh, had set up the, the the kind of visual style of the films earlier in the trilogy, right? Lots of close ups. Also, lots of great sort of widescreen landscape shots to, to kind of give us the setting. But then once we get into the characters, getting real close on people's face, you can see the sweat and the dirt clinging to their face. Um, you know, if there's makeup, you don't see it. Right. Totally willing to 
make these care. I mean, I know it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, but all three of them are ugly in their own ways. I mean, it's just, it's about... All three of them are good, all three of them yeah, are bad, it's, all three of them are ugly. Right, but it's, you know, all about showing the ugliness of the human face as much as the expressiveness and all that. But that music, I mean, Ennio Morricone, this score is so iconic. You've already kind of referenced it, you know, from, from the opening sequence. Even if you haven't seen this film, I guarantee you know several of the musical phrases that appear in, in the score here because they are so iconic. It's, and it's just this amazing blend of all these different sources, some of which are very American, right? You've got harmonica, you've got surf guitar in there, you've got, you know, these like touches that are very like, 1960s modern America. Then you have these throwback things, and you have the orchestral piece. I mean, it is just. Do you own it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I own it on vinyl. I bought it from Carlos a number of years ago. When would that? I be put played? that on after after watching this. Okay, is when I put. It. <laughs> I was. I had watched the film, I finished it. I'm like, I'm putting on the the record. Interestingly, you watch it every Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> I. It, but it really is. It's one of those soundtracks that you know, like, and and I I do love film scores in general, but there's not a whole lot of soundtracks that I just go out of my way to make sure that I have. This is absolutely one that I feel like anybody who loves film scores needs to have a copy of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly soundtrack in their collection. It just it's is is there other Leone work that you would also suggest that someone would purchase? Well, I think the whole trilogy is 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 pretty outstanding, and I have a feeling we may at least look at one of the other films at some point in the future. We've kind of reserved it for for reasons that maybe I'll talk about in after hours. Patreon.com slash beer in a movie. Uh, my guy. <laughs> um, but the, you know, to, you to won't me, Carlos up. Was I supposed to say something? <laughs> to, me, to me, you know, like this followed up by Once Upon a Time in the West. Once Upon a Time in the West is, is a really good film as well. I think I prefer The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. To me, this is, this is somewhat of a, a high point yeah. for Leone doing the westerns, but there are some other spaghetti westerns that I really have some love for. The film Django, which is what Tarantino took the name Django from for doing his Django Unchained film, I think is a really good one. Um, there, there's a couple others. Is that, that future seen. episode good? It, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I could see doing just a spaghetti westerns episode at some point if we that'd be down for a couple others. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just uh, trying to avoid admitting that I don't own the soundtrack on vinyl. That, that, anytime well, that's you only don't. because you let your customers get them when they come in. Thank you, David. Yeah. It's a good movie, though. Oh, it's... And, like I said... And I bet the next copy that comes through the shop, you're going to think <laughs> real long and hard about letting it go. Yeah, probably. Or call me. <laughs> I, I also text me. I also watched this week's programming in probably the wrong order because I watched this one first. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's and, a tough one. And so and so when I got to Red River, I was like, all right, fuck John Wayne, uh, <laughs> fuck how clean everybody looks. I and don't why love is it nobody being in... as good as Eli Wallach. Can we just yeah. take a moment? He's Eli great. Wallach is incredible. Very in this good. Film. Yeah. I like Clint Eastwood for what he does. Yeah, I mean he, but he's he, no, he's he's good. I mean, just like John Wayne or Keanu Reeves or anybody like that that i mean he's a movie star yeah he's not an actor necessarily i mean right. he has 
You know, he's got the kind of uh, right talking with his teeth gritted, with his teeth gritted, smoking a cigar. Yeah, kind of. You know, he's he's got that. He's got the vibe. He's a handsome enough guy, especially uh, then. Especially then. Yeah. You know, uh, he's like a thousand years old now. So I mean, I guess still handsome for his age, but I would say. but not doing a lot is what yeah, I'm getting at. Yeah. Not Lee Van Cleef's pretty good too. He I is, mean, I have he's, no, a, he's good at He's it. an interesting looking guy and he's got he's got kind of like a weaselly face and I, and I, that great mustache. From what I understand, that was something that kind of limited him in his uh in his film roles like he I think at some point wanted to be more of a leading man but was always kind of more of a villain because of his facial features just not quite coming across to anybody who was casting. Sure. But He's Eli no Wallach is just so like every moment he appears in this film is full of that like kinetic nervous energy. I mean, he's just moving around the whole time and he's laughing and kind of maniacal. I mean, he's he's, cre- he's character creating in a, in a in a next level. Yeah, no, it's it's just beautiful, beautiful acting to see where he obviously dug into this character and just I don't know. I mean it. it as far as standout performances go in this film, Eli Wallach stands head and shoulders above the rest for me. Yeah, uh, I would agree, I would agree with that. And Escape from New York for um, Van Cleef. I was, oh, he, I, was, I was trying to oh, figure out where right. I, I was trying to right. figure out where I recognized him from, and uh, that's it. Yeah, uh, help walk me through two things. The I think this could be an hour shorter, and I appreciate the notion that we're walking through a slow paced life. But other than that, there's a lot of lingering, and I think it could be a more compact. I certainly adventure. don't disagree with you. I it is pretty. I, I think there's an long. hour to trim. I, I believe. I that, don't know if there's quite that much to trim, but I do agree that there could be some trimmed. However, I mean, it's kind of Leon's thing. No, I understand. I mean, it becomes his thing because the, the, the films get long longer. Shot, the long yeah. shots. I mean, the kind of he had earned this, right? I mean, like. F- Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More are both under two hours, I believe. And I, I think Fistful is maybe 90 minutes. And so, they, you know. A Few Dollars More just breaks. Over two. there. It just breaks two. Okay. Bare- so, but you know, I, f- I feel like, you know, he kind of worked his way up. I think he liked that kind of space. Like, Joe, you've already said. Like, other than this, like, I, I mean, I do think he's trying to capture something about the. Yes, there are these moments of intense violence and conflict, but that a lot of the time spent out on the frontier was just ambling along on a horse and being burnt by the sun and feeling parched. And so I I think it's trying to capture some of the, the, the sort of emptiness of being out in this lonesome, desolate kind of landscape. But... Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel that way. It, it, that it needs to be trimmed. I, it, it really does work for me the way it does. And I know maybe I, out of the three of us, have a little more patience. No, no, no. I don't mind a three-hour film. Yeah. I just feel like. I mean, again, I love Seven Samurai. That movie's long as fuck. But while I was watching, but, well, it, I was that, trying to that think one, of. I, I would say Seven Samurai has more going on, like because they got to set everything up. Da, yeah. da, 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 you know, like I think with the number of characters it has and the way it wants to build these kinds of you know interpersonal things going. On, yes, that 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 film I feel like has very little space to it as long as it is. This is definitely a film where we've established these three characters within about the first 30, 40 minutes of the film, and the rest is kind of like. 
let I would say earlier let him move through that space. Yeah. And then number two, and I understand it, but let's talk through it. The idea that this is a dubbed film and that there is a lot of non uh, hookup with uh, mouth to mm. some sync issues. Yeah, and I think it's um, a lot of Italian actors yeah. Yeah. that are being redubbed with English voices, but right. they're speaking Italian in the film. But then what gets confusing is sometimes it's English and Italian in the same scene, and I'm not sure. Just help, just, just help. Can anyone bridge me from production to audience? I think a lot has to do with. Um like being able to capture good sound on set. David, no, no, am, no. I, am I wrong? These words aren't no, close. No, you're right. I mean, this is But the mouth and the words aren't close a lot of time. Well, but that's that's because good sound couldn't be captured on set in ADR is Well, and it's also because you literally had actors who didn't speak English who yeah, were just saying lines in Italian and then big to get through the scene okay. and then decide to get Yes, it was a common thing and it was I mean, honestly, I think it's still used in certain filmmaking um situations, but it's certainly It's still used on every film that we see. Certainly the 60s 70s. Well, yes, but to to a lesser degree. To a lesser degree. But the 60s, 70s, 80s, like these films that were being made in Italy and meant to go global, they were doing it with a mishmash of different actors who had different language capacities doing whatever was comfortable for them to get through the scene. But they're putting money into cinematography and art design and other things. Right. But Feeling this is that just the a- audience is going to accept. And, you know, in this, it was also the era of the Hong Kong Kung Fu film being right. able to travel globally. And, I mean, these, these things, they were noted. I mean, people made fun of them. People talked about how, oh, if I go to see I, a Spaghetti Western, I would Western, imagine it to be a hurdle to box office in America, to be honest. And I can see why the folks that were doing the kind of the yellow journalistic thing against yeah. Spaghetti Westerns might have cited that as this being inferior movies. Look, they're not even, look, they're, they, the sound doesn't even match the mouths. Right, right. You, you do have to ignore that a little bit, but other than a bit, yeah. It, when you know the historical context, I think it's yeah. it doesn't take away from the movie at all. It adds to maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a vibe for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it there are sometimes things in movies where technical hangups or difficulties or um, inefficiencies or discre- things like that that add a certain amount of charm to it. Yeah, you know, well, like they, we talk about how the limitations put on filmmakers can sometimes create, you know, sort of interesting unintended outcomes. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that like the dubbed English versions of these Italian-made westerns are, you know, somehow doing something that goes beyond what what could have been done if they had been able to do good sync sound and had all English-speaking actors do it in the first place, but. Or understood it, a contextual problem yeah, that they to wouldn't me, even it's, understand. It's a pretty small thing, especially since here the three lead actors are all English speakers and their dialogue tends to line up pretty well. That The places where it does kind of get off are pretty few and far between, I feel like, for me, and they don't hang me up too much. But that's, you know, I, get, I we all have different tolerances for that. Yeah. Good movie, though. 
great movie. Fantastic movie. We'll, we'll, we'll go and watch the first two in the trilogy now. I'm sure we will. I hope I'm so. Sure no, I'm will. saying I will do that. Yeah, but I have a feeling. I have a feeling that our listeners will hear us talk about. What those an films interesting like career thing for Clint Eastwood too. Well, again, go back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He this, is smooth as fuck in this movie. This is him. how a Rick Dalton becomes a next level movie star. Yeah. He takes a gamble, he goes and makes these films out in Italy and and the funny thing is, at least as I understand it, the first couple had not really made any sort of ripple in the United States. When they he, had done well internationally in Italy. Right. When he took the good, the bad and the ugly, they had not shown in North America. Right. right. So I mean, this was a big gamble. He's like, "Okay, I'm still they're paying me fine. I'll do right. it. They're giving me but this, profits." But this sharing. director understands star shooting. Yeah. Uh, uh, framing the care, framing for my actor, mm-hmm. the close-ups. Yeah, two. Co- well, the the the, the introduction, them. the introduction, and the hat and the brim and yeah. where it falls, and then he looks up and the lighting is right on his face, yeah. and it's it's amazing. Yeah, and he always has that cigar tucked in, and mm-hmm. he's and he's liberal with sharing the cigar mm-hmm. in the proper moments where you there's character building and star building in this movie. Yeah. I remember uh, it makes me think of an article. Of uh, Robert Rodriguez talking to George Clooney, saying, "I'm going to make you a star in this film," and he did. It was a transition film from ER to the big screen. Yeah. Of the way I shoot from and Dust frame, Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Huh. yeah, that was a big career turner for for Clooney. Um, he hasn't been a movie star as long as I've been able to. Yeah, form, but there, form there were. But that was one no. Of he the was films. he was a television star. Well, I, fa- I know he was on ER. And prior yeah. to that, he had no career at all. Like, like he had a, a career of failures. You know, like pilots that didn't shoot. And anyway, yeah. What a weird rabbit hole. Can I? I'll bring us back. <laughs> no, I, I love uh, the Clooney. I will hole. shoot you, George Clooney, in this way. Yeah. To show your 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 magnetism. Yeah. And that's what happens here. Well, and it, it, it's with just all three amazing, characters because yeah. Van Cleef is gorgeous on the film, and Tuco in his way is yeah. is, is again is amazing. They're all good, bad, and ugly, like you say. There, there, there is, and very philosophical. And when you think about it as as a moment in time, that I mean, this was a pivotal moment for Eastwood, especially to make that transition from television to movies. And I mean, you have to wonder, like, without this film, would there have been? Dirty Harry? Would there have been, uh, you know, these uh, Unforgiven? Would there have been these other iconic million sort of dollar films babies that were made by <laughs> Gran Torino? I mean, that love him or hate him, the he American he slammer? became a huge voice in American cinema sure. from the seventies right up till really sure. now. Play Misty for me, and I'm not playing the game anymore. Like these, like even that career transition mm-hmm. where. Every single thing I've done is hero with a gun. Yeah. And now I need to maybe do something different. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about social politics in After Hours, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure now, Bandera. We, we drank that IPA. Yeah. And now we've drunk their drunk their We drank, stout. drank. I have a theory, and we'll see if the stout... Exp- uh, you know. What do y'all think? What... what? It's a fine stout. Um, it's not amazing. This is interesting. Bitter. I would put this in more like what I think of as the old school Russian imperial stout category. Sure, yeah. That, you know, like I'm thinking like an old Rasputin from North Coast. Like that mm-hmm. That was my introduction to the imperial stout back in the that used 2000s. To be a, that used to be a go-to for me. 
And it definitely has more of a bitterness than yeah. what uh, we think yeah. of now in, in terms of the you know sort of general trends in imperial stouts and certainly nowhere near what we think of in terms of pastry stouts or anything yeah. like that. So it's 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 not a hashtag thick boy. No, no, but it's got body. It's it's. It I don't has feel body. like I don't feel like it's. Uh, it's got you know, slacking it's on one its job, but it Just really one. does. Like to me, <laughs> yeah. To me, this is an old school take. And hey, I'm looking at an old genre this episode um, that went through many phases, and and we're looking at a couple different ones, especially. But um, but it worked really well drinking this along with good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm I'm kind of happy with this pairing here. I think this is one of those outstanding pairings. It's a fantastic pairing. I mean, I said I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good. This is a recipe. It's a classic. Yeah, this is a great gift that we received: a six pack of beer on a porch that birthed an episode. Yeah, yeah. It was a horrible gift because this weird IPA stout. I'm not telling you the name of it. We we can't help you do the research into what this is trying to do. This is a recipe book episode. They had an IPA recipe and they had a stout recipe. There's nothing wrong with that if you deliver, and they did. Uh, well, no, I, th- I you know I I understand what you're saying that like having a more specific description of what the intention behind each beer was from the brewery would be would we'd be much more equipped to determine success or failure based on those things. However, to me, what we did with Bandera brewing just now is go in, is we went into an Italian restaurant and we ordered spaghetti and meatballs. Ooh. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. We went in that you and said we, spaghetti made the joke twice as, as good as it would have been. <laughs> Look, I know what I'm doing. I'm a top tier yeah. broadcaster. No, no. Okay. Uh, you have hit the nail on the head. We, we did have, finish number we had three a samples list for podcasts. Yeah, we had a um, sample. Well, and what we did is we ordered, not that we did it specifically, but we said, okay, give us. A straight up traditional style IPA. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Give us a straight up traditional style. The recipe. Don't book, give us adjuncts. Don't give us any of this other stuff. Give us the nuts and bolts, stripped down bare version of what these styles are, and we'll see how well you did that. And, and did Bandero deliver? I think so. I mean, the fact that they mm-hmm. made a traditional IPA that I actually want to drink is a big thing because the traditional style IPA kept me away from IPAs for a long time, which right. we've discussed on the podcast mm-hmm. at length before. Um, but just to refresh and everyone's memory, or if you're new to the show, um, the Sierra Nevada pale ale era of pale ales and IPAs and stuff like that. Not my thing. This one, a very good version of it. I feel the right amount of bitterness, a smooth bitterness. And then with this one, same thing, a smooth bitterness, a good body, a nice ABV on it, a uh, nice roasty up front, everything like that. Not getting too bogged down in intense sweetness, cloying sweetness, anything like that. Uh, so I think very well executed, essential base versions of styles that we all know and love. And I think that that is a good benchmark or reference point for whether a brewery is worth a return visit you're a pro thank you that was that was good <laughs> that was good i can't say it another great. word yeah, appreciate it, it um i loved this episode this was fun it was a fun episode western it's always it's always nice when there's some slightly different opinions on the different sides of the table that we can yeah. get into you're a fan um, of conflict 
<laughs> I'm actually really conflict adverse uh, in my everyday life. Um, what you know where where do you align on all of this um are you are you a fan of westerns are you indifferent to westerns is it a specific type of western that you like where do you stand on american colonialism and imperialism uh and have you had anything from bandera brewing all the beer discourse that went down you can get in on the conversation on social media twitter at beer movie show instagram at beer and movie facebook.com slash beer and movie tx Beer and Movie Podcast.com is our home base. You can find a link to listen to all of the other episodes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps the algorithm do what it do. Patreon.com slash Beer and Movie Podcast, which we have referenced many times throughout the episode, but $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week where we talk about a great many things that aren't necessarily beer and movie specific. It's a good time. Get in on all of that action. Until next time. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. (laughs) 